0: Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with the Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep needs. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Brian Russell, award-winning professor of biblical studies and former dean at Asbury Seminary, as well as a transformation coach for pastors and spiritually-minded professionals. He is the author of several books, with his most recent being Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life, and is the host of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. In today's conversation, Brian and I talk about his new book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. We talk about what centering prayer is, how this practice has helped Brian grow deeper in his relationship with the Lord, some of the gifts he's received as a result, and how we can start our own journey with this practice. Brian would love to meet you and your group study virtually. When you buy 15 or more copies of his book for a study, email him at at gmail.com. The first 10 listeners to do so, he'll reply to and set up a time to meet you and your group virtually, lead you through a time of centering prayer, and do a brief Q&A session. His book can be purchased on Amazon and we will link to everything in the show notes. So now let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Brian Russell. Dr. Russell, I'm just delighted to have you on the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm looking forward to getting to know you better and to talk about your new book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. So thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Uh, you're welcome, Heidi. It's I'm super grateful to to be here. And just please you can please call me just Brian the rest of the podcast. It'd okay. be fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get into your book, which I read and really enjoyed, so I'm looking forward to discussing that with you. But before we get into that, I want to talk about how how did you come to Asbury Seminary?
1: Yeah, that's really two different stories in a way. I first came 30 years ago in the fall of 1991 into the MDiv program, and I found out about Asbury because my pastor in the United Methodist Church up in Akron, Ohio, where I grew up, he had gone to Asbury University. He wasn't able to go to the seminary, but he essentially told me that was the only seminary I should consider would be Asbury. And over the years, the best pastors that we had at my home church were from Asbury, Asbury. And I'd also had the privilege of meeting a lot of missionaries that had gone to Asbury. So I just had this recurring theme that was going through my life. And so I was a student, came back as a professor. I graduated in 1994. And in those days, the seminary would give one person a year the opportunity to teach Greek and Hebrew after they graduated. So just for example, Fred Long was my counterpart. So there was Fred Long and myself back in... The fall of 94 he, that was his second year as a teaching fellow it was my first year and we worked together for a year and so i got a taste for teaching mm-hmm. and then i did my phd and then just circumstances worked out really well they opened the orlando campus in 99 needed a bible professor in 2000 right when i was starting to finish up and i had the real blessing to be able not only to come back to Asbury, but be able to move to Florida and live in Orlando <laughs> for the last 21 years, serving the seminary from down here. So it's that those sorts kind of two stories, but that, that's, that's how I got to Asbury two different times.
0: That's awesome. We're really glad that you're here. How did you, because I'm curious, cause you came for an MDiv and then wound up as a professor. Yeah. So how would you describe your calling?
1: Yeah. And as I thought about that over the years, It's had some shifts, but one of the things I've always been really good at is I've always been an excellent student. That was just kind of, that's my gift that God gave me. And so I was always really good in school. But when I initially came to the seminary, I, I was called to be a pastor and even considered maybe doing some counseling as part of that ministry. But I, when I started taking biblical studies classes, and I have to really give credit to some folks that are still here, I had David Bauer, Lawsonstone. And, they're, and they're, of course, well, we were all much younger 30 years ago <laughs> than we are now, but I had Dave Bauer, Stone, and John Oswald, and they were real mentors for me. Mm-hmm. And David Bauer especially consit, uh, encouraged me to consider doing a PhD because I was doing so well in school. And that's kind of how I moved into that two-year teaching okay. piece And so, in a sense, it was my dream come true. I love studying the Bible. My entire faith journey up till that point had been through reading scripture, and I loved inductive Bible studies. I was good at the biblical languages and really good at exegesis, so it was sort of a natural next step. But again, the right doors opened. I was Mm -hmm. able to get a John Wesley Fellowship, which helped to pay for my PhD, and I was able to get into a good school. I ended up going Essentially, following in the footsteps of David Bauer and really Joe Donigel, who both went to Union <laughs> Seminary, yeah. and the doors open there, and so it was kind of like I was part of my life is like being Forrest Gump. I just sort of been in the right <laughs> yeah. place at the right time, met amazing people. Again, I've put the work in on my on my yeah. end, of course, mm-hmm. but uh, just doors have kind of opened. And I've just kind of walked through them over the years, and so mm-hmm. that's how I moved into teaching. And again, even at that point. I was still going through the ordination process with the United Methodist Church, and I served a church while I was in seminary at Asbury, and I ended up serving a church while I was doing my PhD, so I still wasn't certain that I was going to end up being a professor. I just knew academically, and it's from a gift perspective, that I sort of owed it to myself and maybe even to the Lord and to the kingdom to at least maximize my education, whether I ended up being kind of a pastor-scholar or ended up Mm -hmm. being a a scholar like I am now who still serves local churches as often as I can.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And who educates future pastors yes. or yeah. lay leaders, whatever they might be doing too. Yes. I really like how you describe your calling as just wanting to use your gifts and talents in whatever way the Lord would have you and following those open doors. I think that's that's really cool. And,
1: and that's freeing too, because a lot of folks get caught up that God's will is just like one little linear, tiny narrow path and that if you mm-hmm. miss it, that you mess your life up. And in a sense, it's really just like Bob Tuttle, who he used to be at the seminary too, is emeritus, but he was one of my best friends when he was in Orlando. He always just said, the key to life is show up, pay attention. God has way more invested in this than you do. And I think that's a way to think about God's will. We all have gifts mm-hmm. It's show up and serve people. And I've just found if you will show up and serve people and do things that nobody else will will do... There's always a place for you, and the, and the right. doors actually, the doors miraculously open somehow. <laughs> right,
0: right. That is a beautiful way to look at it because I have been stuck at times in what you just described, and it's freeing to realize I can't exactly get this wrong if I'm willing to serve other yes. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get into your book a little bit and centering prayer. I've heard of before we had had this conversation before I read your book, which is excellent. I know you don't need my validation or approval, but just reading it, I've actually started tried to start my own practice of it because not just because we were going to talk today, but because as I read it, I, my soul was crying out for mm-hmm. more and wanting, yeah. wanting to connect in a deeper way with Jesus. So how did centering prayer become important in your life?
1: Yeah. And I did not grow up with centering prayer. And, and matter of fact, I didn't grow up knowing a lot about different kind of contemplative spiritual practices. I was really what I would call a meat and potatoes Christian. I did a lot of reading the scripture, obviously, as a Bible professor. I prayed, attended church, you know, did small groups, all that kind of, of things. And that served me really well. And we have to say that centering prayer doesn't substitute for any of the Kind of classic means of grace. I would consider this an enhancement and something that can allow you to grow even deeper. But for me, I I like to say it wasn't so much that I found silence and solitude practices as they actually found me, and they came into my life at just a a critical, painful time. Back in, I'm not going to go real deep into this, but essentially, I was going on sabbatical in the fall of 2010. Um, and essentially, overnight, I had just celebrated my twentieth anniversary of being married, and I found myself suddenly single oh. and and it was it was truly devastating uh-huh. um and it was like <clears throat> I just had like an arrow shot into my heart and again that was it was the next year was incredibly difficult for me at just massive amounts of levels i was just overwhelmed with anxiety fear guilt shame i'm wondering you know am i going to be able to continue to teach the seminary what's going to happen to my ministry what's going to happen to my kids what's going to happen to me am i going to have enough resources so i was just in this spiral and it it was in the midst of that that i had a couple of just really powerful moments, including one when I was just out in the walk, a friend had told me, Hey, you sound like you're going crazy, Brian. And, uh, and I kind of was, I'm really good at yeah. thinking. And so my brain was just buzzing. I always talk fast. I'm from the Midwest. And so I don't know, I must've just been in hyperdrive that day. So I just go out for a walk and I didn't take my, uh, I had well, I didn't take an iPod or whatever I had back in 2010s. Okay. I was just walking, and I wasn't doing my professor slouch. I was just trying to look around, and it was like in a, in a for a split second when I was walking on on a sidewalk that I'd walked many many times, <clears throat> everything just kind of froze, and my world went almost from black and white to uh, color. Wow. And I heard a bird singing, and I saw. sounds so strange, but I remember seeing leaves on a tree, could smell flowers, and I really just was there 100%. And I wasn't scared in that split second. And I literally felt as though uh, God was just reassuring me of love. And again, I'm not claiming to have heard audible voices, but it was just Mm -hmm. a sense that there's enough Brian, God is enough for you, and you know you're going to get through this. And that was powerful, Heidi. Yeah, and yeah. and as I processed that, I you know it's like, geez, I wish that could happen every day. Is what I remember thinking. So yes. I began at that time. I, I just found out about. Um, silence meditative prayer, which I come to later recognize as, as centering prayer. I didn't even know it was called centering prayer mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. But I, I I tried to sit in silence every day. And at some level it was really good for me because I was hurt so bad on the inside that uh, I couldn't sing for a long time when I went to worship. I mean, it took a long time before I was able to sing a little bit, um, like in chapel, for example. But when I sat in silence, um, that's God used that silence, that silent meditative prayer to essentially heal me of, of my hurt and grow me in love. And basically, in, in the silence, I experienced greater encounters with God's love in a sense that God was inviting me into deeper and deeper experiences. And so when I look back, that was probably the darkest time in my life. Mm -hmm. But there was a glimmer Mm -hmm. of light, which was centering prayer that led me, it's been 11 years now, um, on this journey of, um, I would call it a sanctifying journey to use our Mm -hmm. Wesleyan language uh that's uh, turned me I'm still a Bible professor, still, you know, kind of an intellectual, but it's in a sense it attached my my head firmly onto my body Mm -hmm. so that I can show up and still be just as good of a well actually I'm a better teacher than I used to be. I was a pretty good teacher because I won, you know, teacher of the year back in like 2005. (laughs) So it's not like I wasn't a good teacher, but it's like I'm more fully present with students. And I'm not in a hurry like I used to be. And it's. I wrote this book essentially to serve other people. And, and you know, hopefully everybody avoids that disaster that I experienced personally. Yeah. But but the idea is, you know, we're in this COVID time now. And again, I wrote the book before this, but we've all experienced all this anxiety,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, pain, we, since we've all been turned into monks at sometimes we're so isolated. Yes. And... and centering prayer and you can also do prayer of examine which is like a journaling practice um, you can do some other silence electio uh, divina, ven is a way to use the scriptures in silence but these silence and solitude practices that go way back into the early church are resources that again for me i didn't know about this stuff was in my 40s and so yeah. i wrote the book to give people tools so that they can build spiritual muscles that they don't didn't even know they had because that's that's my that was my story and so I you know in a sense I can look back super grateful for what happened to me in the sense uh that in the re- rebuild of my life God's been able to do deeper work than God might have been able to do if
0: mm-hmm.
1: if what happened to me didn't happen to me
0: yeah yeah that's beautiful how difficult, extremely difficult times can be redeemed if we're willing to do the work. Not that we have to work it out, but we have to show up for it is what yeah. I'm trying to say. For those of us who are like me before I read your book and like you a little over a decade ago, what is centering prayer?
1: Yeah, centering prayer is um is kind of a shorthand. If you just do the history, the, that phrase just goes back about 50 years, but it really has really extremely deep roots in the church. Some people call it uh, the prelude to contemplative prayer. Uh, but essentially, all centering prayer is, and it's super simple to describe, but you have to practice it. And there's certain obstacles and challenges that you'll experience almost immediately when you start. It 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 is nothing more than nothing less than Close, sitting in somewhere comfortably, closing your eyes and start. I always start with. I like to start with a Jesus prayer. Uh, again, not everybody does this, but I, you know, I want this to be a, a distinctively Christian experience, of course. Mm-hmm. So I always just say, "Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner." Come, Lord Jesus, and then I just sit with my eyes closed. I set a timer. I have a Fitbit. You can use a phone, but you want some kind of quiet thing that won't scare you when it goes off. And you essentially just. Take some breaths and sit in silence. You select a prayer word in advance. I would just suggest everybody use this Jesus because that's yes. who we're praying to. But you know, mm-hmm. some folks may find a different word like God or love or whatever. But I, I really encourage people to use Jesus because that's mm-hmm. who we're praying to. And you sit there in silence, and you just with your eyes closed, and you're not praying. This isn't you praying to God now. This is you saying, "I'm going to surrender whatever comes into my mind." to god so i can essentially just sit with god and not even let thoughts interrupt my um, encounter with god now i have to be careful with what i just said because the goal of this isn't to erase your mind because that does not happen Mm -hmm. but it's simply to be aware of how much chatter goes on your in your mind some of its beautiful thoughts some of its insignificant thoughts sometimes it's really troubling thoughts which we may talk about at some at some Mm -hmm. point but it's uh, whenever you find yourself in a thought loop, which will be almost the entire time, yes.
0: <laughs> you
1: just simply, in your in your mind, use Jesus. You know, you're not going Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's not a brain-frying mantra thing, but you're just reminding yourself and calling out to the Lord that I'm going to surrender this thought because I just want to sit with you, not my mm-hmm. thoughts. I want to sit with God.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's the practice. And you do that. Um, for again, you can start with one minute or five minutes. Uh, I try to do twenty minutes at least once every day, and sometimes mm-hmm. I do it multiple times a day. Uh, it just depends, but I, I I try to do twenty. And I would encourage people just to go for it and do it because I think I it took me a while. I spent a lot of time kind of gearing up to get to twenty minutes. So I would just say just try it. But really? even okay. if you only have five, do five. I mean, because t- this is a, a practice that again, if you do it consistently over time. God really can do deep work in your life we don't force God to do it this isn't manipulation but if you sit in silence with God God is going to work on your insides and um, and I would say God does almost like a, Thomas Keating who was one of the Catholic priests that started this he talked about God doing using this as divine therapy and it just yes. opens us up for deeper and deeper um, in experiences of God's grace and it confronts us with the stuff on our insides often that shows up as guilt shame fear um that causes us to be like adam and Eve and hide behind the trees when god comes mm-hmm. looking for us But, mm-hmm. but yeah. you know, so he's re- kind of release and, and it's a lot of times that'll show up on our thoughts and so um, the idea there's four r's that are the kind of the shorthand for doing it centering prayer it's you resist no thought so you, you know you don't get freaked out that your brain's chattering that's 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 how our minds work mm-hmm. um, but then you don't retain the thought either so when you realize you're in a thought which again most of the time you just kind of break it up with the prayer word um, you don't react to any thought that's yeah. the harder part because sometimes you know you may have um like i talk about in the book i when I'd be sitting in silence with God, I would just be, um, I just, just, I'd, I'd relive past wrongs against me and I could, I'd find myself really angry. Uh-huh. But instead of like suppressing that, I realized, wow, I'm sitting with Jesus and all this anger is coming out of me. What do I need to do? I just give it to God, give it to Jesus. So I use the prayer word and release that. So it's, we don't react to a thought by suppressing it. You just uh-huh. let it go and you gently return. With your word back to God, so that, that's what centering hmm. prayer is. <laughs>
0: yeah. So when when those thoughts come up, is it just is it returning with our prayer word? Because that's the part that kind of has me stumped. Because I've yeah. been in thought loops ever since I've started this yes. practice. So is how does that release work? Because well, that's where I'm getting a little stuck. Is like I think these things I return with my prayer word, and I think I'm getting a little impatient that I've been doing it for a week and I don't feel like anything's happening.
1: No, no. And I know
0: that's not the point, so I'm saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek, yeah. and our listeners can't see my smile. But, yeah, it, you yeah. know, I, I get what I'm saying. But.
1: Yeah, I th- I think what the, the the metaphor that I like to use for this is, uh, again, I love to exercise also, yes. right? And so if you think of a centering prayer session as, again, this isn't a perfect metaphor, but as a gym session. or, or, oh, yeah. or And so, you know, you don't always feel like going to the gym. Not every gym session is actually good. Sometimes you really struggle, but the whole right. thing is—is is you put the reps in. Yeah. And so, in a sense, even if, like, I have a chapter in my book called "How to Fail at Centering Prayer." Yes.
0: <laughs> Can you fail at centering prayer?
1: Only if you don't do it. That's that's the thing. Okay. And so, you actually, um, you know, struggling with different types of thoughts. It, is the actual practice and you're surrendering those to god right and mm-hmm. so even the times when you have to use your prayer word again i've never counted because that would be a thought that i'm trying yeah. to release yeah. but let's say like in 20 minutes you have to use the prayer word i don't know 50 times and i'm just uh-huh. throwing a number out there i have no idea what it really is um it's you got to return to jesus 50 times so 50 mm-hmm. times you've actually said lord me sitting with you in silence is more important than what's going on in my head.
0: Oh, that's so, beautiful.
1: So when you think about that, that's that's what we're actually doing. It's it's literally surrender. That's our, the whole point of the practice is to surrender and sit with God with no expectations. We're not again, we don't mm. expect Jesus to come down and give us this massive revelation every time. Mm. It's just me surrendering myself to God in silence for Again, however long you want to do the practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does
1: that That's help a little bit? Would that help you as you kind of get going on all this?
0: That really does. Thank you. Before we go too much farther, um, I want to I want listeners to understand how this practice differs from other types of meditations used in other religions.
1: Yeah, th- and this is a critical question because I think one of the reasons I didn't know about centering prayer. And even in a sense, why I probably pushed it away because we do, you know, like, for example, at Asbury Seminary, we use this in a counseling program. Mm-hmm. And so counseling students spend a semester keeping a prayer journal and doing this at least for a semester. And we even train the students. But I you know, I always thought, wow, that's isn't that kind of new agey or doesn't that make me a Buddhist <laughs> or something? Right. And, and not, so listeners may be thinking about that. And. And if you listen to like a lot of um, business podcasts, a lot of entrepreneurs do transcendental meditation, which was very Mm -hmm. popular. That's kind of a Hindu form. And so it's really critical to recognize that when we say silent meditative prayer, we're not switching religions or or simply becoming new age in some ways, Mm -hmm. right? The the key distinction is because as Christians, we believe in a transcendent, holy God of love who stands outside of creation, right? That's the key difference between Christianity and, say, Eastern religions. And so when we do centering prayer, we're not just peering inside of ourselves as though we are already God to discover that truth, which might be part of another religious tradition, uh, we're actually sitting with the transcendent creator God who came to earth as the person of Jesus Christ and now, you know, has sends forth the spirits. We're engaging the triune God. And so our intention isn't just navel gazing, as you might say. It's our intention is to sit with the God who's really there, who loved us so much that He died for us. So that's the key distinction. Okay. Now, if you go and look at comparison like a lot of people do mindfulness based meditation uh-huh. there's similarities on the techniques but the telos the intention is the is the key distinction that makes christ it a christian practice versus something else just to be yeah. fair does that does that help a little bit
0: yeah that makes total yeah. sense so yeah. thank you You're thank welcome. you for that you mentioned Thomas Keating and divine Mm -hmm. therapy a little bit earlier. And I love, I love that image. And so thinking about that, what do you know about God's love through centering prayer that you didn't know before you started this practice?
1: Yeah, the the transformational insight that I received in the silence. um, And I try to, as a Wesleyan, I partially think of this as kind of the witness of the spirit um, is that I know, and you know I knew this at some level in my head since I was a yeah. little boy when I gave my life to Jesus, but in centering prayer, God removed I would say my self-imposed blocks which had to do with a lot of shame about the way I grew up, um, fear um and even guilt and a lot of the guilt would be a false type of guilt because obviously Mm -hmm. we're forgiven in christ and if obviously we have sins in our lives we need to repent of those things and open ourselves up for healing but a lot of us still i call this the unholy trinity like we have these deep fears that there isn't enough and so Mm -hmm. we have to strive and grab for stuff rather than Mm -hmm. trust um we have a false guilt that we don't do enough. And this is so true for most pastors that I know and, and that I work with You know, I have a coaching program for pastors and I see this on our students at the seminary. We just think we don't do enough. So we're always trying to prove something. That that was kind of my core wound growing up Is I always, I had to prove that I was worthy and, mm-hmm. and that'll tear your spiritual life to pieces long-term. Yes. And, th- and then there's a shame that I'm just not good enough. And I, I would say for me, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. I don't do enough and I'm just not good enough. So what this centering prayer has done for me over time, and it's been over time. I don't want to, this was not like a quick fix, um, is I experienced what, and again, we don't talk about Paul Tillich, the 20th century theologian, a lot at Asbury because <laughs> kind of he's kind of a neo-Orthodox person. But he, but I love, he has this great definition of grace, which again, whatever else he writes in all his other books, I'll let other people judge that. But I love his definition of grace. He says it's accepting the fact that you're unconditionally accepted. Oh, that's and, and, hard
0: to do. Yeah, you,
1: yes, but... I can testify to everybody listening, but that's what centering prayer gave me. It it cut through my fear, my guilt, and my shame that, again, Jesus has covered that with his death on the cross, his resurrection a long time ago. But a lot of us, David Siemens, who was one of my teachers, I I was in his last class before he retired back in 1992. And he always talked about the frozen chosen in the churches, that um, they're Christians, but they're got junk and they're frozen um, mm-hmm. i would have to say i must have been a frozen chosen even despite the fact that i was a pastor and even a professor mm-hmm. for a long time but um the divine therapy is essentially an experience of god's love that then penetrates our soul and what that does heidi I, it, it's a sanctify we can think of it in parts yeah. in some level as sanctification a d- different a le- different way of talking about sanctification that um, we're able to expand then because we're fully immersed in God's love, then what does that do for us? It helps us to love God more, helps us to love our neighbors more, but but that is rooted in, allows us to love ourselves, which can sound narcissistic, except in this case, it's not. We can love ourselves not for our own sake. That would be narcissism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We can love ourselves for god's sake because um i'm gonna probably make myself cry a little bit here so i apologize if i lose this because to me this is the powerful thing it's um centering prayer lets you see yourself the way that god sees you and that is healing and, and, and that's what it did for me. And that, that's actually why I wrote the book, because at some level, I mean, I've been a Christian. I mean, when I was a little boy, I went to the altar when I was eight. I had a powerful experience that yes. led to me being called to seminary as 15. But um, what's happened to me in the silence was almost felt like I got saved all over again. And it was all about, you know, suddenly, for whatever, knowing that I'm God's beloved that despite the, you know the mistakes uh, the hurt even my successes in life mm-hmm. that i'm loved apart from all of those things and mm-hmm. that god is fully for us and so yeah. um, that that's what that's what divine therapy actually gets wow. at but it, it hacks through all the junk in your life to get to that point though, I gotta <laughs> <say>. <laughs> Wow. i got
0: to say centering prayer allows you to see yourself as god sees you
1: yeah and again i
0: can't get over that i can't yeah, get over yeah. that
1: yeah, and, and I think the key way to say that one might is is that's not the goal, but that's a result. The goal yeah, is just to gifts. sit with God, but that's one of the um the gifts that comes out of that kind of intimacy with with yeah. God.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. So as we're as we're sitting with God, you were talking about in your book, many of us, and I'm quoting you here, uh, many of us have never integrated our rational minds, unconscious minds, deepest emotions, and physical bodies. A lack of doing that subverts our public commitments as we fail to live out what we actually believe. So how does centering prayer help us integrate ourselves and then carry the gifts of the five minutes, the 15 minutes, the 20 minutes with us the rest of the day?
1: Yeah. And again, this is this was my experience because Again, I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't authentic right, no, before because that's no, because that's not, that's not just, what we're saying at all, right? No, this it's, is it's, just it's,
0: going it's, deeper. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's taking it a, a step deeper. Now, for me, again, the way that my I'm, I'm wired is like I used to joke that you know what was what was who was I? You could just basically chop my head off don't think about that too hard but but basically put put it put it on a put it on a box and as long as i could still talk that would be me because i i was i pretty much associated myself with my thoughts and i always thought like theology was um, a set of descriptions to affirm and to understand and if i could just understand theology better understand what the church was supposed to be better that would be authentic and again i'm sort of exaggerating but when i went through that um just the, the trauma of that the mm-hmm. whole divorce thing one of the gifts that that allowed me to do and, and it was a gift from god is you know i i early on i'm like jeez i have to make i thought to myself and i'm so grateful to the lord for this is like i have to come out on the other side of this a better man no matter what happens and so I wanted to be better, not better. And early on, I had this mindset that I was going to take 100% responsibility for my side of the whole thing, not be a victim, not have anybody go, woe is me, poor Brian. It's like, no, I'm going to own. Whether it was 1% my fault or 100% my fault, I was owning everything on my end. And I that prayed to courage. God. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I think it takes, yeah, it's courage, but it was, I trusted the Lord on this one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I and I said to my I had a prayer. It's an affirmation. I still use this. I use some affirmations. Some Lord, <clears throat> bring all of the darkness on my insides into Your light, so that I can be healed. And mm-hmm. so that so that was my kind of open um, openness to that and um, mm-hmm. and. And actually I'm forgetting the exact question I'm answering now, but but that was the backdrop. So what what am I tra- where am I trying to land we're, this thing? We're here?
0: talking about you're you're doing it great. Then yeah, 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 okay. so we're talking about the integration oh, and yeah, how yeah. how the twenty minutes how we can carry that with us the rest of the day. Yeah, thank you.
1: Sorry, sorry, really? listeners. I had to, my brain just shift around. This is this is real personal, no, so it's hard it, to get through some it of this sometimes. It is good. I yeah, feel like yeah. you were
0: answering the question, even though you were... <laughs> you yeah,
1: were- and, 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 and let me add the little cherry on top of the questioning, because so, those were kind of the mindsets that I had, right? And so what I noticed, I mean, like I noticed my body literally, like I had these, like my chest was always tight. I was super stiff between my shoulder blades and I could feel like butterflies in my stomach all the time. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, you know, everything else in my life has just been shattered at some level. Wouldn't it be amazing if I can open up my body to God and be healed of that stuff. Because maybe I nice. don't have to be tight chested, anxious all the time. Maybe I don't have to be so doggone stiff in all my muscles. And and what I realized is I was holding a lot of my own trauma, guilt, shame, and fear inside my own body. And so part of the centering prayer actually has, again, I'm not gonna pretend like I'm a yoga person that can do all these stretches or anything yeah. like that. Like, no, I'm still I'm still pretty stiff comparatively speaking, but like um not like I used to be. And I don't feel the pain all the time in my body like I used to. I don't feel as much tension in my chest. And now I'm actually super aware of it when it does pop in. So it was more of that's what I consider to be the integration. So I'm not just living the Christian faith in my head. It's encompassing in my whole body so that I can show up, I kinda of like Tuttle, show up and pay attention. So I'm not distracted by my own body. It's not something I have to escape from. I'm an embodied soul, and I, I that's how I'm trying to live. And the centering prayer just kind of helped me integrate that all together. And then the key p- last piece is I've always been the mission guy, and people know me for my missional approach to Scripture and some of my early, earlier teaching. But that's the whole point. The gospel comes to us on its way to someone else. And now this person, Brian, who's now on mission, I think is bringing a more integrated, whole version of himself into that mission. So mm-hmm. that when I share the gospel, um, I'm sharing a lot less of my own junk as part of the gospel, and people are hopefully oh. getting a, a more authentic version yeah. of what a what a in my case what a Christian man ought to be like. That's my yeah. prayer, at least. Yeah.
0: Yes, definitely. You are leading me right into my next question. So, with your your coaching, you also do spiritual direction. Is that correct?
1: Well, sort of. I mean, I'm not officially a spiritual director, but what I do is I do I do group. I do mostly group coaching with pastors. I do do one-on-one things, but I I help pastors to work on their spiritual formation practices, their leadership practices, so that they can essentially thrive and flourish in their ministries and have a place where they can come one hundred percent focused on becoming transparent, authentic, and and better prepared to be able to serve the people that God's given them the privilege to serve. Yeah, yes, yeah,
0: definitely, and how has how has centering prayer in this practice enabled you to share more of your true self with others with your with your coaching and with your teaching and the other types of ministries that you're doing
1: well the centering prayer has again. this is a a is an effect not so much the purpose of it again right, but what, right what, i think yeah,
0: i yeah. hope i'm not misrepresenting no, that no, no, in my no, in my questions no. cuz i understand it's it's the point is to sit with jesus and then yeah. Because we sat with him,
1: yeah, and, and I'm not even trying to correct you. It's just I'm always really careful because I don't want this to sound like this is like ten days to a quick fix or or anything or anything like that, right, or or right. Or, it's, or it's even just like a you know I don't it's like I'm hawking a personal development plan or no, something either. So, yeah, right. Yeah,
0: I'm so glad for that distinction. <laughs> so because we all have had enough of the like do this to be a better Christian, like do like do anything to be a better leader, like you know ten easy steps for everything. So yeah. I appreciate that so much.
1: Yeah, so so centering prayer is uh is is a wonderful step towards having a transformed life and I 100% believe if if folks would embrace this practice or other again there's other silent solitude practices that, that would allow everybody listening to grow even deeper in the Lord. I have no question about that, but it's a slow we're playing a long game and there, these aren't quick fixes. So what what it act, what how it's helped me is <clears throat> this gets into the healing parts again. Mm-hmm is you know if you go to you know in prison they use solitary confinement to break people right Mm -hmm. um and and it's because when you sit when you're alone you turn on yourself and your thoughts if you're all by yourself can essentially you know kind of drive you crazy or you can be tormented by them i mean um uh, you know, I use a, a quotation even from F- uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who's an atheist, who's even the, you know he's the guy that said God was dead. And he talks about how most of us don't want to sit in silence because we're afraid somebody's going to whisper something in our ear, so we numb ourselves uh-huh. with entertainment and stuff. And that's what most of our world does. We and even Christians, we numb ourselves with activity. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do more practices. Silence. Strips all that away, and you're literally sitting there again with God, and you become confronted with your interior life. Uh, and there's beautiful things in there, right? And so, you know, one of my favorite prayers is, God, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how wonderful it is. So, we have to say that. So, uh-huh. so, so, so that's part of the beauty that we see ourselves as God sees us, but. What the monastics discovered, and a lot of my book, I, I kind of translate some of the insights from the earliest church. And our readers, our listeners know about the seven deadly sins, but the so called seven deadly sins were actually rooted in the silence and solitude practices of the earliest monastics because. People gave up everything to go out in the desert to be alone <clears throat> with God, and they discovered all the things they thought they were fleeing from were actually inside of them.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: and, and yeah, and so this is the healing part, right? And so um, I like I use a vagrius Ponticus as eight evil or distracting thoughts. He was a, a monastic and he was a scholar, so he kept track of he was observing what people encountered and just hear the, the the eight distracting thoughts that this became the seven but um, it was um, <clears throat> gluttony um, greed lust that was like one level uh-huh. and then anger uh, spiritual laziness or sloth or spiritual sadness that's the second level and then the bottom he had two different words for pride and again these were he had Greek words, but we'd bring these in English as pride, which is essentially a sense of superiority over other people. Look how great I am now that I'm sitting in silence or, <laughs> or, or, or vainglory where you want other people to praise you for how awesome you mm-hmm, are, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you sit in silence some of the thoughts and feelings, these are what we would call, this is what Keating would have called the disturbing thoughts. This is the stuff where the healing takes place. It's your unconscious or however you want to think about that. I'm Mm -hmm. not a professional psychologist. um, And some of this is mystery, but our insides, those things will come up in your mind, and those are the things you have to release to God. Like I mentioned earlier, anger, right? Well, guess what? It's right there as one of those evil thoughts, right? Um, uh, so you'll be confronted with the truth about yourself, yes, and you discover that God is just inviting you to hand those things to Him. And, and, and that's how you get transformed slowly over time. And that mm-hmm. frees you then, because if you're not rejected by God, right? Like I've even had lustful thoughts when I was supposed mm-hmm. to be sitting in silence. I put this in the book and, and I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. And I didn't know about this, that this happened. I was kind of just doing this without a lot of instruction. But when, once I found out, I'm like, oh my gosh, God was just working on me when that happened. Instead, I was thinking, I'm so angry. I even had lustful thoughts. What am I, God's gonna like mm-hmm. z- zap me with a lightning <laughs> bolt or something, right? But God, but God doesn't, right? Yeah. And, no. and and when you can hand those things that and it comes out of our hearts and our insides, when you hand those things to God, you realize, wow, um, God loves me. And if God loves me, I can show up to every person that I meet, not ashamed anymore, not mm-hmm. feeling guilty, not feeling fearful. And it just, it it lets you be more transparent with people and be authentically present. You know, most people know me that I'm pretty much a straight shooter. In some ways, Mm -hmm. I always have been, but I'm able to share more deeply out of my own pain and struggles simply because God let me give all that stuff to him as I sat in silence.
0: And you're not carrying it in the same way. Yeah,
1: yeah, anymore. it's yeah. yeah, it's like I can still feel it if I, you know, do. It, I've done a lot of podcasts for this, and I've had to kind of re-experience that dark mm-hmm. period. But for for most of the time, it's now. It's almost like I'm talking about somebody different because mm, yeah, I've been yeah. healed, and that and that and that period now means something different because I've actually seen. You know, it wasn't instantly, no, <laughs> no. and it was really hard on my kids. I have to say too, um, but you know, for me. It, it allowed me to grow, and so it's it's mm-hmm. changed its meaning. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. With the with the release, when the angry thoughts, the lustful thoughts, the the whatever, the greed thoughts, thoughts, all the stuff, yeah. all those things when they come up, is is the release si- simply saying our prayer words? Yes. Is that yeah. we don't have to do? Because so I'm I'm a try hard Christian, and I'm recovering from that. So yeah. I'm like, is it seems. It seems so simple and yet so hard at the same time. But that's yeah. all we have to do.
1: Yeah, and 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 let me just say a little bit about because it is all we have to do. Because again, centering prayer is really easy. But but here's the thing that you have to do, and that's where those four R's are so important. You know, it it's mm-hmm. that react to no thought, mm-hmm. like like I, I have in the book. Um, one of my I use two movie illustrations. I have a chapter called "Entering the Cave," mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know if. I'm old enough. I go back to the original Star Wars movies, and in Empire Strikes Back, you have this really interesting scene when Yoda is training Luke Skywalker. He sends Luke into this, it's almost like it seems like it's a simulator, but he has to go in this cave. Uh And in the cave, Luke has to confront the truth about himself. He's fighting who he thinks is Darth Vader. And if you remember, he strikes him with the lightsaber, and then Vader's mask comes off. And what does Luke see? He sees his own face right? Yeah, yeah. And that was pretty upsetting for him, right? Um, yes. uh, then there's another scene. I love The Lord of the Rings also. And I think this is in The Return of the King, the third of the movies. And it's when the um, orc army is uh, attacking, I think, the last human city. Um, and it's the in, in um, Uh, Gandalf the wizard is there. One of the hobbits is there with a bunch of the humans and they're just waiting. There's a battering ram smashing against the gate. And on the other side, literally the forces of hell are there. There's these huge monsters. And, 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 and Gandor says, um, or, um, Gandalf says, he goes, men of Gondor, whatever comes through that gate, hold your ground. Mm. And, and, you know, in this terrifying battering ram with a, it's a dragon face with fire coming out of it. And these monster trolls jump right through there. And I just always think about that scene is, that's can happen. I don't mean to make it so scary, but you're going to see scary stuff mm-hmm. that you wish wasn't true about yourself. And that's where it's so important that react to no thought because our, our, um, you know, the, like if that was a dream, you'd want to wake up, right?
0: Mm-hmm, right. Uh,
1: or, or if, you know, or, or like slam the door and get that out of here. And that's what we tend to do with the pain in our lives. We either slam the door, distract ourselves as a way of just jamming it back down on the inside. Mm-hmm. But the gift of centering prayer of, uh, in these deeper experiences with God is God is just saying, you know, Brian, just give that to me. So I use the prayer word, and and again, you may have to do it more than once. But it's just simply—you're not freaking out by what you just saw. You're just like Jesus, and when you say Jesus, you're saying Jesus, take this from me. Yeah. And so, so it is as simple as that. But that's what—but you you can't react to whatever comes. Just so you don't, because a lot of times we just self-condemn ourselves.
0: Yes. Oh, I'm just horrible. What a
1: horrible Christian I am. But instead, um, and this. Try to be curious while you're sitting in silence about what comes up and just to watch it, just like you're watching a movie and let it go up to God because God already, and here's the key thing, God already knows what you're thinking, I think. (laughs) And so (laughs) he's just just waiting for us to trust him enough with our darkest secrets, our deepest pain, just just give it to God and, and slowly... It doesn't like it, make, you know, it's not like you're not going to be able to remember this stuff, but you'll be able to, um, you slowly are freed from the past. Mm, no yeah. matter how good or bad it is, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I want to be clear, too, and I think you mean this as well, but we've talked about divine therapy. And yeah. I just want to make, make it clear for people that this is in addition to any counseling or professional therapy that you might be thinking is not in place of. It can, both can complement each other. Would you agree with that? or
1: No, no I absolutely agree with that. And, and in fact, the, the reason that Thomas Keaton started talking about divine therapy is they would do centering prayer retreats and with, with like week-long silent retreats and stuff. Mm. And people would have some serious psychological kind of breakdown sometimes because of spending so much time in silence. So they would actually often bring professional counselors to oh. centering prayer retreats. So you don't want to see them. I mean, you can still practice this on your own. But yeah, if what pop comes up out of your unconscious is incredibly painful, that's where Christian community comes in. And that's where I yes. think the uh, Christian counseling is so viable. And, you know, and I can even say, um, I, I see a therapist when I need to. Mm-hmm. And I've done that at different yeah. stages of my life over the last 11 years. And, and the, you find a, a, a gift of a good Christian therapist or, you know, even a good Christian coach can actually really help you mm-hmm. to walk alongside. And that's where if the pastors who are listening here, you know, doing groups, Centering prayer with with the folks in your church can be, can give opportunities for people to be in community. That's the thing that you don't want to isolate yourself with any of these things because this is not a substitute, not only for counseling, it's not a substitute for being around people that love you, that are trying to encourage you and grow along with you into the person that God created you to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, Brian, how can we, as we've listened to this conversation, we talked about it a little bit, but if we're wanting to get started with this practice, how can we get started?
1: Yeah, you could get started even by turning the podcast off as soon as it's over. And, <laughs> and literally what you need, I mean, the preconditions really are your desire to do it. But you do need a physical environment. So like you wouldn't want to do this someplace that was really noisy. So mm, you, you, yeah. you do need to try to find a quiet place. You know, if if you have like if you live in an apartment, like I live in a townhouse, and I can hear the neighbors sometimes, so you can play like quiet music or have some kind of white noise. It's, you need like a white noise, maybe or run a mm-hmm. fan just so you get. If if it's noisier, where you are, but just find a quiet place, a block of time again, whether you have five minutes or twenty minutes or even more, um, that you can just commit to this. Because the key thing isn't so much a certain amount of time, but it's actually just l- doing the amount of time that you commit to, mm-hmm. and. A comfortable seat is also really helpful. I have a, this, I use this, well, you can't see on a video, but I have a comfortable chair in my office. and I also have a nice recliner. My wife and I do this in the morning together and we both have a nice comfy chair, which makes it a lot easier. Uh-huh. Uh, so find a comfortable place to sit. And then literally, you again, just close your eyes, You know, set a timer uh, and uh, state your intention. Again, I like the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then okay. you just sit in silence. When you become aware of a thought loop, which again will be most of the time, you just use yes. the prayer word and you go until you're done. Now, when your timer goes off, don't like, oh, I'll just don't go out and start jogging right away or something. Chill for a minute or two. You can take a couple breaths. And then I find it helpful to pray. Do my regular time of prayer then. Mm. Maybe use the Lord's Prayer in a group. And then the other thing that I would suggest folks do if, if they have this practice is I like to journal after that's done and then kind of you know write out some things i'm grateful for and do a little prayer exam and stuff in the morning when i do that so you can just kind of make this an integrated part of your spiritual practice or you can just take little centering prayer breaks at like lunchtime or before you get home from work it's yeah. a great practice that can let you transition from one phase of your day to another one
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. We we've talked about some things that might come up for us yeah. as we start this practice already, but one thing that we haven't talked about is the false self. So I want to get into that a little bit. Um, so what is the false self?
1: Yeah, and, and this can be a little bit controversial because again, this is like kind of psychoanalytic language. But okay. the, the idea basically is, and like Thomas Keating would equate the false self with what the Apostle Paul calls. Uh, life according to the flesh. Okay. So, so in other words, I would consider the false self to be who we are, which, you know, who are all of us? We're a mixed bag. We all have gifts that we were, you know, from from our genetics or from our training. And we also have pain, right? From our own sins and also from the things that we've experienced. So, that whole bundle is really what the false self is it's who I am apart from God's grace. And with that comes baggage, right? That's where the fear, guilt, and shame stuff. So it's that whole mm-hmm. little bundle that prevents us from seeing who we really are, which is which are persons created in God's image whom God loves deeply. Mm-hmm. That would be who the true self is, that true person who's loved by God. That's um, that's, And so the false self is kind of what blocks us from that. And part of the work of sanctification is that even after you're um, um, justified, forgiven, reconciled—you still have that war going on, on the inside, and that's that's and that's where those eight deadly or eight distracting thoughts come up. That's all part of the flesh that hinders us to surrender fully to the Holy Spirit to to allow us to live fully as that that person that God made us to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Two things, because we're almost out of time, so I want to be mindful of that. But two things, I want to be sure to let people know how they can connect with you if they want coaching and or anything like that. I um, just want to shoot you an email. And I believe you also had a book offer yeah, for our yeah. listeners as well. If you could tell us about those two things.
1: Yeah. If Obviously, if a person's part of the Asbury community right now, you can just reach out to me with my Asbury email address, especially if you're a student. And I don't offer coaching to students. I mean, I do spiritual formation for my students, and that's that's part of my ministry at the seminary. But if you're an alum or you're outside of um, the, the seminary community and you'd like to explore the work that i that i offer and the services that i offer you can uh, go to deepdivespirituality.com and that'll take you to my 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 website and you can or I have a podcast and some other things on there and you can reach out or you can also use the email deepdivespirituality at gmail.com to reach out for me uh, for coaching and the other thing is if you're listening and you you want to start a centering prayer group if if um, i'm making this offer uh, if um I'm going to say if you, if you have a group that has at least um, 15 copies of, of my book, if you reach out to me, and again, you can reach out to me at centering um, deep dive spirituality at gmail.com. Um, I'll arrange a time where I can zoom into your group. And uh, we'll do We'll do a, um, a centering prayer session together and I'll answer questions that you might have. Again, that may if I get a bunch of people are going to take me up on this, it may take a while to, to do it. But I, I will make that offer and I will honor that to anybody that listens to the podcast. Just email me at deepdivespirituality at gmail.com and uh, we'll set we'll set that up.
0: That's, that's super generous of you, Brian. Thank you so very much. And we'll link all those things in the show notes so people can be sure to find it if they want more information about any of that we can read your book. So I didn't give you a heads up on this question. So okay. we can read your, we can read your book, of course. And as I've said, I highly recommend that, but are there some other resources you would recommend us reading if we're wanting to learn more?
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, I would, you can look up books by Thomas Keating. Uh, and again, he has, uh, a, a, a lot of popular books. Um, he was one of the, probably one of the main, he's one of the chief, um, Catalyst of the revival of, and really the creation of what you call the centering prayer movement. I mean, that's his books are really helpful. And I would recommend also, and this is, I think, this I was talking to you, Heidi, when we were doing the conversation. Uh, one of my favorite books, and this is, uh, it's more of an academic book, but it's, it's, it's readable. It's by a Catholic priest named, uh, his last name is O. Madigain. I, mean, I may have to send you the, how, the spelling on this, but it's Centering Prayer and the Healing of the Unconscious. And this is probably my second favorite, uh, uh, or, or my favorite centering prayer book. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I received this, I, I shared the story. It's like I was at, up, up for an event up in, on the Wilmore campus, and, and one of my colleagues told me I needed to read this. And then, literally the next morning, I was with another one of my colleagues, and he goes, Brian, I have, I have a book I think you should read. Matter of fact, I have an extra copy. Here it is. And so uh, uh, I would recommend that. And then there's a classic. Um, book by Thomas Merton called uh, New Seeds of Contemplation. That is a great book. So I would say those, what, how do I, what did I just give three authors? So Thomas three Keating, um, Merchado, Madagane, and then Thomas Merton's New Seeds of Contemplation. And, and folks actually might want to start with New Seeds of Contemplation because he goes really deep. It's almost like a devotional. You can just read like one chapter a day. And that's one of those books you can read over and over again. You'll never get Mm. to the bottom of it. He explains kind of the interior life really well. So those would be three great resources that people can look at.
0: I love that. I'm writing them down. And of course, we'll link those in the show notes as well. This conversation has been delightful. We have one question that we ask everyone, but before we do, is there anything else that we haven't talked about already that you want to be sure to mention?
1: Well, again, I would just uh, say it this way. Uh, If you do practice centering prayer Be careful because it may just change your life. I can testify that it definitely transformed me.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. I'm looking forward to the process of continuing that journey myself. So thank you. Thank you for the gift of your work, too, because it started – at least in one person in me, it started a new journey for me. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm
1: so grateful. And yeah, and that's been the fun thing. I'm the Bible professor and I wrote a spiritual formation book. So, just, <laughs> so I just so I, I get I get the kick out I get a kick out of the whole thing, but I'm you know, I'm just super grateful for the I'm I am am literally just grateful. This book was um, so fun to write. And it was started as my own reflections, and I just kept reflecting. And then I, <laughs> and then I ended up having this book, and uh, went the first publisher I went to, Paraclete, which they took it right off the bat. And you know, and, and I haven't had the, the greatest publication record. I usually get rejected a couple times, and so this is like literally the easiest, most fun book that I've ever read, and really, I'll say the most authentic in the sense that I think I'm this, it's me that camp comes Mm -hmm. through this book. And this book isn't just about me. I use my, I just use some of my story as kind of a, well, you write it as as an example through the book. Um, But so, yeah, so it's just been total joy to write. So I'm so grateful that that, that, uh, you you picked up a little bit of that, even in your own reading. So thanks for telling me that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love it. So now for our question that we ask everybody, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, yeah. what is one practice other than centering prayer that is helping you thrive in your life right now?
1: Just one practice, right? Is you that can t-
0: have more. Yeah. Th- you can have more than one. But
1: <laughs> no, no. I, I, let me just rattle off because I love this question. This is what I. This is you know, centering prayer is just one piece of my what you know we call rule of life or rhythm of life. Um, mm-hmm. I'll throw I, like I'll, I'll give you two real quick things that. Okay. Um, or, or three things that a lot of times we get neglected. We don't think these are spiritual, but I, I commit to sleeping seven to eight hours every day. And I consider that my spiritual practice because that lets me nice. function and I can tell I eat the healthiest food that I possibly can, so I'm energized and, um, and ready to serve students. Like I even have a special diet I use when I do my intensives because I don't want to have brain fog after I have lunch. So I, uh-huh. food matters a lot spiritually, and I exercise pretty much every single day. So that and stretch so I can be my physical body can last as uh-huh. long as possible to serve. So those are like three like core Things, but let me throw in more practice. It's my journaling practice. And I mentioned this, and um, a lot of folks find this really helpful. It's kind of my hack version of a prayer of examine. It only takes five minutes a day. I've been doing this almost, I actually might have been doing this even longer than I did the centering prayer because I started doing this way back as, well, as, as soon as the, everything kind of went south in my life mm-hmm. there. But every morning I wake up, I, this, I do this after my centering prayer now, but I write five things I'm grateful for every day. And then I write down really carefully what seems to be hindering hindering me, and what am I struggling with? Where do things not feel right in my life? And that's another way to process and release things to God. Yes. And and then I write down what would be what would make today a really good day, you know. And, mm-hmm. and that's you know as a, as a Christian, I'm thinking about ministry and stuff. But what would make so gratitude? What's bothering me? What would make this a really impactful day? Yes. And yeah. then then at night. This is where it helps for sleeping, too. At night, I just come back and process, and I just write down what are three ways that I saw God working today. Um, you know, or three wins where God was working. And that's so critical if I have a bad day, because it means I didn't have a bad day, because I just found at least three things that went right. And so I haven't had yes. a bad day in like, you know, 10 years, Heidi. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> metaphorically, right? So, yes, and,
0: yes. And,
1: and then if I forget something, I'm like, okay, what, what 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 did I leave undone? And I make a little note and that frees me. I've I've rejoiced over the day of what God's mm-hmm. done. And if I, you know, if I thought, oh, I better remember this for tomorrow, I just make a note so I don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking about something I should have done. Right. Yes. And so, That has been a game-changing practice that has let me thrive.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those things. Super helpful. Thank you. So thank you so much for not just for that, but for this whole conversation today. It has been a joy and a delight. So thank you very much for joining us.
1: You're welcome, Heidi. And thanks, everybody, for listening all the way to the end. I'm super grateful for all of you.
0: Yes, you're welcome back here anytime. Thanks everyone thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with dr brian russell so grateful what a gift his work and words were to me today and i hope you found this conversation encouraging as well as we start or maybe choose to continue this practice of centering prayer may we understand god's grace love and healing in new ways as we learn to see ourselves the way god sees us If you liked what you heard, I hope you'll drop Dr. Russell a note and tell him thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And don't forget to pick up a copy of his book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. Well, that's it for me today. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.